happening now. We'd like to welcome our viewers from across North America and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room, episode 297 for June the 7th, 2023. My name is Wes Fryer, coming to you from Matthews, North Carolina, where I am on summer break and have actually been backpacking in the Blue Ridge Mountains for the last three days. Uh, and so uh, I appreciate Dr. Knife for doing the heavy lifting with our links tonight, but joining me as always, the EdTech guru of the North, thankfully, apparently not overwhelmed with smoke from Canadian fires. It's Dr. Jason Neifer. Good evening, Dr. Fryer. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm good. I'm glad to be here. And I think we're going to have some some travel coming up here in a couple of weeks. So I'm glad for us to be able to, to get the show in tonight because I think we might uh, have, you know, some some postponements or some uh, just June, June may not be, uh, you know, four, four shows. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely. But that's that's quite all right. And happy to get with you tonight. Um, and lots of you mentioned we don't have smoke here. And I know a lot of the country does right now. And I have been noticing some of my Western U.S. friends that have had to put up with this for weeks and sometimes months each summer the last couple of years uh, kind of say, well, welcome to our existence, uh, rest of the country, um, as we tend to get a lot of wire, wire, wild fire smoke. And the, I've seen some really extraordinary pictures of people uh, selfies in New York City today suggesting that it's thick as pea soup there in Manhattan, which, uh, of course, is is really quite extraordinary. Um, but uh, we wish everyone well there. And more importantly, um, if you are a medically sensitive group, of which I qualify for that, stay inside. And as much as you probably don't want to hear, hear this, it's probably not a terrible idea to wear an N95 um, if you are going to go out uh, in this thick uh, pea soup smoke that seems to be uh, dominating the, the uh, area out there. Definitely. But I don't think this is the smoke report, Dr. Fryer. What are we doing tonight? Well, we're here to, uh, I'm here to learn about Apple, I think. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I, was in, I was in the woods on Monday, but we're going to talk about the latest tech headlines and shoot them through the educational prism. Uh, we've got articles you can find on edtechsr.com slash links about artificial intelligence, social media, and the new Apple stuff. And we've got some geeks of the week as well. So... I don't know. Do you want to start with Apple or do you want to go somewhere else since we may talk a lot of Apple? What, what's your what's Yeah, your let's, let's, let's start with Apple um, in part because um, uh, the, most of the news this week is AI. And again, I'm, I'm getting a little tired of talking about AI in part because I feel like that there's just a lot of uh, 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 hand wringing there and some of it's justified and some of it's definitely not. But um, actually, uh, no, I'll just talk about that when we get to AI. So uh, <laughs> on Monday, there was an Apple event and I, I didn't catch much of it live uh, because I was working during that time and uh, actually forgot about it. I had uh, planned on maybe watching part of it live, but you know, lots of new interesting things. And I guess I'll start with the the less interesting things first. Um, uh, there is a new 15-inch MacBook Air, which uh, is the first time that they've moved the kind of ultra-thin uh, uh, MacBook Air design into. Um, uh, I'm sorry, Mac, the ultra-thin MacBook Air design into the 15-inch uh, laptop category. And by all accounts, it looks like a really spectacular laptop. Um, a, a massive size screen, very bright, um, extraordinary um, uh, uh, pixel density, uh, 500 nits of brightness. It's a 15.3-inch, uh, as they call li liquid retina screen. And it's about twice the resolution and 50 or 25 percent brighter than the comparative pc laptop although sometimes apple's comparisons there um, are not necessarily fair but still obviously a, an incredible laptop um, i do like that it, it kind of adopts the macbook uh, air m2 design so it's less of a wedge now and more of just a flat laptop design uh, with some interesting looking feet on the bottom um, it does come with two USB uh, Type-C ports that are actually Thunderbolt ports, um, a MagSafe power, and a headphone jack. Um, it can also power um, an external uh, 6K display, and then, of course, uh, the headphone jack, like I mentioned earlier. And um, it has the M2 chip in it, and I've actually played a little bit around with M2 chips there uh, uh, just for a couple minutes uh, on, on someone else's laptop. Very snappy. Uh, very responsive, does extremely well in all the benchmarks that I would usually run um, on a laptop to get a sense of how it's processing information. And it looks like it's, it's, it's pretty extraordinary um, as a device. And for me, the biggest interest here is that this is going to be um, 
uh, a relatively inexpensive laptop. Uh, it starts at twelve hundred dollars, eleven ninety nine for education customers, and twelve ninety nine for regular customers. Um, I think they mention education here so prominently in part because uh, I would imagine that that's part of who their customer base is here. That um, education customers, and I would imagine you could easily get you know, four, five, six years uh, reliably out of, you know, the $1,200 MacBook uh, uh, Air uh, with the 15-inch screen. So really an interesting um, uh, uh, development here, and it adds another uh, element to this class. And one thing I've noticed, um, I, I now personally own a MacBook Air M1 that I was able to get pretty cheaply in, in, in 2022, um, and uh, it, it's the, the base model um, with just the 8 gigs of RAM and um, relatively small hard drive. And I have to say that it has been an extraordinary trooper. And um, uh, uh, I think that if you're in the in the, the, the um, market for a laptop and you would like a little bit of a larger one, I do miss having a larger screen when I'm on my 13-inch MacBook Air. I think this uh, M2 MacBook Air 15 is an extraordinary bargain uh, at this price and is probably a, a good pickup. So... Uh, anything tempting about this particular product for you, Dr. Fryer? Boy, it sure is from the standpoint of wanting uh, a machine that I have an admin password on. Um, my wife, you know, we picked up an M1 when we were <clears throat> departing Oklahoma. It has been a fantastic computer for her. Um, you know, the other thing that occurs to me is every time Apple releases new hardware, the used market is affected. And so, you know, used M1s, used M2s are going to are gonna go down in price. So that's good news. And um, <clears throat> we did... Uh, update our youngest daughter's laptop. She's going to get a Windows machine when she goes to the Air Force Academy, but she's, you know, used a Mac kind of her whole life. And so went on to Swappa and, you know, got like a 2019, I think maybe, um, you know, MacBook Air, whatever, picked it up for like 500 bucks. Um, so it's faster than the one that she had before. She had a lot of, a lot of hand-me-downs. So I don't know uh, exactly when I'll be in the market for one, but like I said, if not one of these new ones, um, the fact that the used ones are going to, you know, be uh, affected by the the release is also good news. So, yeah, absolutely. So then uh, the next thing uh, released um, is uh, their new kind of high end models, and they're releasing finally a Mac. Pro, um, and then also a, a, an updated uh, Mac, uh, 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 Mac Studio, which is kind of their maxed out, um, uh, uh, I, I guess, um, Mac Mini would be the way to describe it. Uh, and it's kind of intended for the prosumer slash kind of creator audience. And uh, I've been reading a lot of stories on this the last couple of days. And one of the reasons why the Mac Pro was such a popular machine back in the day um, is that it was a machine that allowed you to upgrade it. So I bought a Mac Pro in 2008. Um, I used it uh, as a daily driver through 2017, I think it was, that I had used my Mac Pro. Um, and so that's nine years and I had upgraded the Ram in it. I had put new hard drives in it. In fact, I switched from, um, spinning hard drives to SSDs a couple years in, which added quite a bit of speed. Um, I, um, I put a new video card in it. The power supply died. I put a new power supply in it. Um, I kept upgrading it. So it became a more effective machine year after year after year when I used it. And for that reason, it was an extraordinary bargain for me because I was able to, uh, uh, uh do a lot of cool stuff with it. Um, even though it was, a you know, at one point, a three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine year old computer. And, um, so a lot of criticism of more recent Mac pros, including the garbage can Mac, um, as it's called, um, and the smaller, they went from a cheese grater, uh, Mac, which was the, the ginormous, uh, uh, metal box. And I, G five. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a cute nickname for the smaller one that was released a couple years ago with Intel. But the criticism of those was that the trash can Mac was hardly upgradable. And, um, and it takes, didn't, didn't you get a trash can? I bought a used one. Yeah. Okay. And, used one. Uh, yeah. And, and it's super cool. Like, and I, I like it and it's a cool piece of hardware and you know, they're, they're selling for a song on eBay now. 
Um, so um, I, you know, it's, it's a project box for me, but um, the bottom line is, is that um, <laughs> for lack of a better way of putting it, um, it, it may not matter to you, but to super high end users being able to put, you know, beefier stuff in there, like a lot more RAM makes a difference. So the new Mac Pro um, is uh, does have some upgradability because it has a, a, a card slots in it. So for like video cards and such, I believe there's six of them, including one that is uh, considered like a legacy one that you can put a lot of older hardware into. And that's going to give some upgradability for sure, but it's still not what most people I think are looking for. And I think that's something that just to be just be aware of. So um um any any thoughts about that before jumping in the studio dr fryer yeah just a very very limited number of folks uh but you know it's it's also great to see apple continuing to invest in that pro line yes. um we've had that made that comment before in the past um so it it doesn't represent you know the the numbers of people that the regular consumer an iphone using for instance consumer demographic does but it's still an important demographic and you know apple um for a while had been criticized for really neglecting that segment. So I'm right. glad to see them continuing to upgrade the that market segment. Yep. And uh, supposedly the performance in these new Mac pros is absolutely and utterly ridiculous. And so, um, you know, it's, it's the new, um, uh, it would be the new um, uh, M2. I think it's an ultra chip that the Mac pro has, and it's got a ridiculous number of cores and like 60 or something like that. And so, um, you know, that, that certainly is um, uh, uh, something uh, interesting uh, that if that's something, you know, uh, of interest to you as, as a, as a pro user, or if you happen to be um, some uh, variety of kind of a prosumer. And to be honest, I, you know, I would kind of count myself in that category. But the other thing I would also say um, is that, you know, we're talking about a, a pretty extraordinary um, price here for this. Um, and I was just going to know, I was looking at specs here, uh, that there's a 24 core CPU in the new Mac Pro. You can have up to 76 graphic cores, which is just brand point, right? Wow. Um, you can play back up to 22 8K ProRes video screens at a time. And you can get up to 192 gigabytes of, of, of unified memory with eight displays. So uh, that's, you know, really uh, pretty extraordinary. And, and, and of course, you know, their comparisons are always mocked by people, but it's eight times faster than the Mac Pro with an eight core Intel W processor. And then um, it is two and a half or 2.7 times faster uh, with Octane um, uh, than the uh, 28 core Intel W uh, Mac Pro. So it's, it's, it's a beefy machine. And, you know, that all said, right, like the cool thing about Apple Silicon, in my experience, is that it it's pretty fast on its own. And um, I did experience my first leg um, uh, the other day, and it was, um, I was on this machine, which is, again, the base model um, Mac uh, Air M1, 8 gigabytes of RAM, and I experienced my first real slowdown, and that was related to uh, being in Google Docs. Um, and I had a very complicated doc I was working on. It had a lot of uh, 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 tables and hyperlinks in it. And I would start to um, uh, scroll down the page, and it would start to jitter. Like, it, like it, the mouse started to jitter a little bit. And so I restarted the machine. I also noticed that sometimes it was easier when I had... Um, uh, refresh the page, it would go for another minute or two before it slowed down. And then I realized that my battery setting was set to low battery mode all the time. So I turned it off, got back into the dock, and it was speedy again, right? And I was wondering why I'd been working for like three hours, you know, like nonstop on Monday morning, and the battery had used like 3%, right? Ridiculously low amount of sipping on the battery. And then I realized, well, I told it to slow down, right? Because I wanted, I wanted better battery life. And so I turned the battery saver off, and then everything popped back to normal. Ah, uh, yeah. So, Interesting. Said, you know, if you're editing video or if you're using one of the high-end commercial video editors, yes, you do. 
they do need to do that. But when I'm in, um, I'm just trying to think. I edit video in Camtasia Studio, for example, right? Not it's not a a low um, uh, a resource uh, user by any stretch of the imagination, but it's certainly not doing what the the high end video resolution pieces do but it never stutters even on this you know base consumer hardware so for whatever yeah. that's worth okay all right well what about this uh this headset okay well um uh they did a one more thing um at uh uh at the uh the unveil and of course everyone is just ecstatic beyond belief uh because and you know and and I think everyone everyone had kind of been waiting for Tim Cook to do a one more thing, right? And I guess for those of you that um, um, that uh, are old school Apple fans, you know that what Steve what Steve Jobs used to do, um, and a couple of the big big categories of things that he released over time that were just surprises that he managed to keep secrets. Um, he would do the regular stuff and then say, "Oh, and by the way, there's one more thing," and introduce something amazing. And so Tim Cook did that. And they introduced um, the Vision Pro, which is a I, – I, I don't even know how to describe the category other than it appears to be some kind of augmented reality headset. It's a new category. Yeah, um, and they're calling it a spatial computer is, is the, the term they're using. And, and it's, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, it's, it's a full headset that looks like a pair of ski goggles – um, I will also say, and I thought I'd get more traction on Twitter for noticing this, but if anyone remembers the early eighties, um, uh, miniseries called V, which stood for visitors, it was about aliens invading the planet. Oh yeah. And it looks just like the glasses that the aliens were wearing so that the sun wouldn't burn their eyes. Um, then we also wouldn't notice that they were reptilian <laughs> underneath. Um, and, um, uh, it looks just like them, but there's these big glasses, and I've, I've watched the video a couple of times now, and it's pretty wild because it's it is a new category in that it's both virtual reality and augmented reality because you can see through the headset, and it gets uh, it gets lighter or darker or lets more or less light in based on you know if there's something to see or if you want to see it. Um, it tracks, it doesn't have any controller, right? Uh, it tracks your eye movements. And then using your fingers, you can grab and pull and touch things inside the reality. And that's just, you know, freaking mind blowing to me, right? And then um, it's basically a computer. So you can do computing tasks on it. Uh, it has a it has an operating system on it. It looks like it runs programs. Um, they've already worked with apparently hundreds of app developers to make sure that you can, you know, if you want to watch Hulu or if you want to play a game or if you want to watch a movie or a television show or get on conferencing, uh, that's able to handle that too. Um, and then this one, I, I just don't even know where to start with this one. Um, they were talking about how they wanted an immersive workspace, but what if you're video conferencing, right? Like they don't want to put an external camera uh, on the actual device and they're like but at the same time remember this is on your face so they that no one wants to see you with your space goggles on right so they create an avatar of you that's apparently very accurate and then that's what joins the like a facetime call is so and it follows your your mouth movements and as you're talking it it does that so I'm blown away, like, and it's so funny because the reactions on um, on uh, 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 social media were pretty funny. Um, uh, and I'll tell you about, we'll talk about the price in a minute, but a lot of people were like, yeah, you don't want to be Mark Zuckerberg today because the MetaQuest uh, uh, headset, which has a very cartoony images that are going on right now, that's not really what this is it's it's you know clear high resolution video or i'm sorry images and a multi-tiered desktop environment and tracks your head movements and your eye movements and does all sorts of crazy amazing things so wes you leave for the mountains and look what gets, gets released this has been long awaited and 
you know, uh, the article that you found, for some reason, the, that archive uh, link didn't work for me, but I found the same article from Bloomberg on Yahoo Finance that's open. So I, I dropped that one in. Um, based on past track records, I think the one to buy is going to be version two, not this version one, because they're going to make a lot of good improvements to it. I think the fact that Apple has gone to school on a lot of other platforms and has been late to the game is going to, as it has in the past, really play to their advantage. I have played a little bit with the, the uh, not the MetaQuest Pro, but an earlier version of that. The first one, I'm trying to remember the name of it, that was fully, you didn't have to have a PC, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so uh, we have a couple teachers at our middle school in Oklahoma City that were, were into that. And it, it was kind of gimmicky, you know, there was, what was it called? Uh, there was a, a saber, saber fight, whatever. But like the immersive nature of being in that and this idea of, you know, just, I mean, it, it's the Ready Player One vision. It's the, Ready Player One, I think, is the reason why Mark Zuckerberg, I don't think we have an article about this, but did, did you see how much his net worth increased in the past year? Like it doubled again. He put him back in the, in the top 10. Like I, I just, I, we'll have to find that article maybe and drop it in, but Facebook is just an, or I, we should say meta is an absolute money machine, <clears throat> but that's not because of his bets in, in VR and the fact that he changed the name of the company. I think that this will be uh, a game changer. I, I really, you know, Apple has proven again and again, whether it's, oh, we're taking the floppy drive out of the computer now and you just have a CD-ROM or, you know, um, what other kinds of, we're, 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 we're dumping the USB-A port and we're going USB-C or whatever. You know, they are ahead of the game, but I don't think they make bad bets when it comes to these kinds of technologies. You know, the only thing I think was silly that Apple's pretty much ever made was the Generation 1 Apple Pencil. If you've ever tried to stick that in your iPad, you're like, someone from Apple actually designed this? This is yeah. crazy. But, but, but everything else, seriously, has been uh, so solid, especially when it comes to the platform. So they, you know, going to different educational events from, and I went up to the, <clears throat> it's called NC Ties Conference in Raleigh. It's our North Carolina State Ed Tech Conference. And, you know, got to connect with Apple folks. And they've always been having these different, you know, VR experiences, but mostly it's it's iPad and iPhone, but it's mainly iPad for school, you know, but really incredible stuff. And you're like, seriously, kids can be experiencing, you know, the muscular system and the cardiovascular system in this incredible immersive, you know, environment. And so they've really laid uh, groundwork for this, for developers. And, and, you know, I just, I think, I think Apple's really solid with this. So this is super exciting. Uh, one of the things that I've mentioned, you know, HoloLens is, is, does the, does the original article you have has, have this chart that talks about the competitive field where it lists HT, HT Vive PlayStation? Does it have all no, that? Well, I'll need to look. I know it. I know one version I did archive did. Okay, the Yahoo the Yahoo Finance one does, and it's and it lists the November 2019 Hololens. We mentioned on the show a while back, and I had visited with uh, someone who works as a as a GS employee for the U.S. Army, uh, and then I found some articles verifying this. You know, the Army was about to make really really big bets with Microsoft for v for VR headsets that they were deploying in the field, and they were like actual you know systems that were integrated with your weapon so that you could literally point your gun behind you around a corner you know and then be able to uh, you know shoot and take out real opponents and they ended up canceling that sort of at the, at the last the last minute so it's going to be interesting to see where apple's play you know is with this and and i think part of the whole it's this chicken and egg deal right is there the content you know and if because if there's not the 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 content and the software then it's just going to be, you know, a very expensive novelty item versus something that is is really functional. So I think Apple has in the past demonstrated their ability to lay the groundwork very well for developers. That's what the Worldwide Developer Conference is all about. And I think better than any other software company, Apple's just done a great job catering to its developers. And I say catering, obviously they take 30% of their income from the store. So, you know, it's a lucrative a lucrative thing. But I think Apple really, really knows what they're doing with this. And I'm, I'm super excited excited. We have actually raised some funds at our school for some VR headsets. We had a, an English class be able to do a Diary of Anne Frank uh, VR experience and, um, you know, 
this thing isn't supposed to be out to early 2024. So I don't think we'll be getting this at school, but um, I'm excited to give it a try. And I think I'll probably go to an Apple store just to see if I can, you know, either see a live demo of that because this at that price point, like you said, it is a computer. Um, you know, this isn't just like a pair of, of, of glasses that we're going to, we're going to buy. This is a full, full on computer. So prices will come down and things will get better. Uh, but I think it's a really, really big deal. Um, it's not at a price point where it's going to transform education yet. Um, but there are going to continue, there are going to be applications certainly in healthcare, but in all other kinds of, of areas where the ability to, to, to wear a headset and be this augmented human because of all this dashboard of information and this, this mixed reality um, version of the world that you're going to be able to see and interact with. Um, I think it's pretty exciting. Well, and let's, let's have a couple of uh, uh, back and forth about the price here. And I, I do want to point out, there is this great video um, that's been posted. Um, posted to um, a Twitter from the audience uh, there today, and hopefully this audio will come over. But it's right after, it's the audience reaction after they announce the price. But hear that? Here's that sound. I'm not hearing it. Uh, it was Apple Vision Pro starts at thirty four ninety nine. Everyone goes, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and. That's right, right? I mean, it's an expensive piece. And um, I would imagine that most of the first generation folks um, uh, or most people buying the first generation are going to be super tech geeks. I did see um, some prominent kind of commentators on Twitter say things like that. Oh, well, you know, it's a ridiculous price, but of course I'll be buying one, right? Like, and I think that's part of it. Um, and Tim Cook has gone out of his way to say that that the price might be high, but the value you get for that is is pretty extraordinary and extreme. And I'm not sure if I buy that in or not. I obviously want to try one first, but I will tell you that, um, you know, based on what I saw, it is a, a really a different thing. Um, I don't know if this is a reality for, uh, you know, for, for working or not, right? Like, I that's something that will remain to be seen, and I myself... Um, you know, may or may not think it's a it's a good thing. I know that it has two hours of battery life, um, and that is extremely concerning to me because that's a um, uh, it seems like a very small battery. Um, apparently, it's a plug-in battery, um, and that the original battery is uh, uh, relatively small. It looks like I've seen some pictures on Twitter, and uh, a lot of people are assuming that you can buy a larger one from Apple that it might be able to go four hours or six hours instead. Um, Two hours is also interesting because that doesn't even cover you for most movies, for example. Um, And, you know, I I would imagine that there is some cachet for people to travel a lot, uh, that want to be able to have a a movie experience as a passenger in a car or in an airplane. Um, uh, Certainly, uh, there's something to be said about the learning environment piece here. And I think you're right, Wes, that um, it's not going to be a, 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 a popular uh, device in schools quite yet because of the price. But the other reason why I won't buy a first uh, uh, edition of this is I was this close, this close to buying Google Glass round one, because I really did think that at some point it was going to be, um, you know, I guess for lack of a better way of putting it, um, uh, the, you know, the wave of the future. And I, and I still think gave, Google gave up too quick or too quickly um, on that. But what I would say is, is that uh, it'll only get better in version two and three. And I don't think we're going to have to wait that long for it. Um, it's not going to be released until January 1st, 2024. So I would assume that there's a new version. We're talking 2025, 2026. And by then both the price would be lower, I would imagine. One moment. Oh, Siri thinks I'm talking to her. Um, and then, um, um, uh, the more functionality and then things like longer battery life because two hours isn't very long. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, a first generation device in a new category is by definition going to be an early adopter device. Um, it's not going to be uh, the mass market device. So, you know, if you're in a financial situation where you can jump at this, great. Uh, reach out and let us know. We'd love to know when, you know, it's going to be 2024 before you have your hands on it. <clears throat> but, um, you know, it's, it is what it is. Uh, but the fact that Apple has, has jumped in with a new product uh, and there's actually hardware and not just software and, you know, APIs or, you know, frameworks and, and whatever for being able to create software. It's, it's a really big deal. 
So, and if, and if you haven't experienced some of the, uh, the augmented reality apps that are available for iPad and, and for iPhone, I mean, you know, it's just, it's one of those things, um, and going to, you know, ISTE or a state level ed tech conference or something like that and going to the app, it's really not the Apple booth. They have these, you know, sessions about different products and things, but it is, it is mind blowing. Um, and, the, and they just keep on getting better. And so we're iPad one-to-one at our school. Right. And so, uh, I don't know the degree to which we are leveraging those kinds of technologies. They definitely have a big wow factor. Um, but for courses where we're doing things like anatomy, it, it, just as an example, you know, I mean, the ability to have this interactive textbook that, allows you to, you know, separate the layers and to just visualize this. It, it makes a traditional textbook look like a cave drawing or some kind of a, of a, of an inscription on, on hier on hieroglyphic stone tablets or something, you know, so it's a big deal. Absolutely. All right. Well, Hey, I dropped a few articles in. Um, so, uh, let's, uh, Let's do uh, a, a social media one first, because this one's pretty pretty troubling. Uh, TechCrunch on June 3rd reported that YouTube has rolled back its rules against election misinformation. And this is both surprising and troubling. Um, I think that <laughs> we need to be going the, the opposite direction. And we certainly have been seeing that with Twitter, right? In terms of um, the number of folks that have been replatformed and... Uh, the amount of, um, of harassment and persecution that is, has been been going on. Um, and then, you know, the, the conversations about the upcoming elections in 2024 and what this means. But um, I just don't think this is a, a move in the right direction. Um, and so YouTube announced Friday, uh, this is an article again from um, the 3rd of January, that um, it would reverse its rules around election denialism, allowing some previously prohibited false claims effective immediately. Now, if it is, if there are claims that are going to like say, oh, your polling place is over here, or oh, you vote on this day when it's not that day, those are still going to be blocked. Um, but they are going to allow, you know, claims, for instance, that deny the valid results of an election. Um, <laughs> and so I don't know what the exact motivation for this is, other than, you know, to, I guess, appease conservative voices that are really upset that they're not being able to say anything that they want um, about the election. So at the uh, risk of, you know, of handing you a political hot potato, would you like to comment on that or do you want me to move on to something else? Yeah, it's, it's The weird thing about this is the brazenness in which they're announcing it. They're literally saying like, well, we're not going to stop people from pushing false claims. Um, that seems really strange to me, right? Like I'm just not entirely sure that, um, um, that's that serves any purpose because i mean there's nothing in this article that even says why they're doing it right it doesn't it gives nothing no background nothing about what motivated it it's a response to something or this congressman or whatever it's just this is our policy change uh in in the current environment we find that while removing this content does curb some misinformation it can also have the unintended effect of cur curtailing political speech without meaningfully reducing the risk of violence or other real world, world harm um the company wrote in a blog post with that in mind we will stop removing content that advances false claims that widespread fraud errors or glitches occurred in the 2020 year and other past presidential elections. Cause you know, I'm not sure if you knew this West, but a lot of conspiracy theorists focus on that 1956 presidential election. So um, yeah, I, I don't know, like that's, that's troublesome to me. And um, you know, maybe it's because, you know, they were, they were granted additional, or not additional, but they confirmed section 230 uh, liability limits for platforms maybe that was part of the process so that for them they feel like that there's an illegal risk there but i don't know do the tech companies have a larger obligation to the democracy or not and i i don't know uh, right like i think that's maybe a bigger topic than our lowly ed tech podcast but yeah absolutely peggy um is is, is asking in the chat maybe they don't want to have to fact check everything i mean yeah. the fact is they don't no one, none of these platforms have the capacity to fully fact check or even just to fully moderate the content that's being created by users. You know, look at what happens with, you know, 
they, they've done all kinds of things to try to help with this, but, you know, um, violent events that are live streamed and things like that, that end up being on. And then the videos are out there and it's just about impossible for them to completely stop and shut down. Um, I, I, my conjecture is that this is just going to be uh, politically easier for them because they have faced opposition uh, from uh, different, you know, political corners uh, when they have done this. And yeah, you, you may be right, Jason, they may be, you know, kind of just reclining back in section 230 saying, hey, you know, we're not, we, we do police content um, that, that violates our community uh, standards uh, and our, you know, terms of service, et cetera. But, you know, this is a, a platform and we're, that, that people express themselves and, and we're not um, supposed to be the, poli the, the, the police or whatever. We're not supposed to be the, the censors for all that. But it just, it just seems like a weird, you know, move in, in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, let's see. I put this one in here under security. Um, I think you maybe to retweeted this one too. This is from Bleeping Computer. Uh, malicious Chrome extensions with 75 million installs removed from the web store. And I have seen this, not this specific thing, but you know, with working with different teachers for a while, I was working with this uh, writer's group and, and helping out with a conference and seeing all these different extensions that people liked, you oh, know, I'm going to, I'm going to get some points to, to get, uh, you know, some save a little bit of money. Um, one of these uh, programs was called the, the PDF toolbox ex extension. It had 2 million downloads. Uh, it included a code that was disguised as a legitimate extension API wrapper um, the code allowed the, and it lists the, the name of a domain to inject arbitrary JavaScript into any website the user visited. And so that could not only insert ads uh, into web pages, but steal sensitive information. These can also change what you see on the web, right? Like a certain word can be changed. There was one when the New Zealand uh, shooter, when that happened, there was somebody that created an extension that replaced his name with something else. And it was the idea of trying to not amplify that shooter's name as I'm not doing now by saying his name. Um, but like that idea of something being able to, to, you know, intersect in between, um, in between you and, and the web content and actually changing it. And I'm just seeing one that I've actually, I'd installed this on my phone, uh, the crystal ad block. That is um, an ad blocker that I had played with for iOS and so they have, they've found this suspicious code and they, what they don't know is exactly how many people, you know, if, if people really had their identity stolen or what the, the actual impact, um, and that's what they conclude the article with. They say, while 75 million downloads looks worrying, the company suspects the count was artificially inflated. Um, and this all came from Avast. So this is an example of, of, of research that's being done. Thank you, security researchers. <clears throat> but I think the biggest takeaway is, we got to be careful out here, folks. I know this is a radical claim. You've never heard Jason and I ever say this in the context of security, but with respect to our software, you know, and even with Chrome extensions, we really do have to not only be wary when we're installing something new, but we also need to take a periodic inventory. Um, and if we're not, I would say if you're not actively using something, you know, just disable it. That's one of the, I love extensity, I think is the name of the, yeah, E-X-T-E-N-S-I-T-Y. Yeah, e love it because, you know, it just gives me the drop down and, and I can, you know, enable, disable. Uh, it takes memory, you know, if you're, if you're not using them. But anyway, I thought that was a pretty substantial article. Any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I, well, you see less of this now than you did, say, six, seven years ago. But yeah, that was a very com uh, uh, common conference session. The, um, you know, nine... Google extensions that I love or, you know, nine ways to make yourself a power user. And, and to be clear, you know, I have a set of them too that I install on almost every browser. I'm just looking at my extensity, but uh, my password saver is one password, um, buffer, um, the color pick eyedropper. Um, uh, I have no idea why coupon birds is in there. So I'm assuming that's got to be a, it's, it's not turned on. So uh, I imagine that's uh, not great. 
um, uh, as I admit to something embarrassing uh, here um, on the podcast tonight. You're uh, not the only person trying to get coupons with a Chrome extension. I mean, there's yep, tons yeah, of that's, teachers well, and yeah, others. But I'm wondering if that's malware, actually. So Right, and this uh, is the thing to, to, to let people know because, oh, look, I'll get a coupon. Oh, look, I'll get this. And this social engineering, that's why yeah. this PDF toolbox, people installed it because, oh, great, I'll, I'll get to do new things with a PDF. Well, maybe not. Maybe it's a malware injection. Yeah. Well, and and the other thing that I had noted in that, and I'm not sure if I had the TechCrunch article, another one that I read said too that they worked right. Like they weren't; these weren't ones that that uh, you know didn't function. They functioned exactly as I said they would because they were legitimately Chrome extensions, right? But um, in this particular scenario, um, um, uh, you know, it had the malware uh, in addition to the other stuff, and I think that's a part that I think is for me is uh, you know, very. Um, um, a concerning, um, and you know, I, I, that's, it's a very important thing on Chromebooks, uh, extensions, because that's one of the ways that you can help modify your experience. And so, yeah, very concerned about that. And, you know, I guess I would just state what we talk about all the time. Um, it's, it's, it's decently dangerous out there. Yeah. Peggy's asking, saying, you know, the average user probably doesn't know enough to detect those extensions and not to jump into new things quickly. Yeah. Unfortunately, what this article shows, though, is even when there's a lot of downloads, because that's usually something, and I'll even teach that to my students. Hey, how many ratings? You know, how many downloads? You know, if something's got like one rating and uh, 300 downloads, like that's that's not very much. So you probably don't want to give that a try. Um, so I, I think looking at what other reliable sources that are checking security, you know, uh, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's hard. And this is why IT departments in different enterprises as well as schools sometimes lock things down really hard right and it's to try to prevent someone from putting anything on their box which might not only affect their information and their data but potentially the whole network and the whole organization um peggy's asking a question if you've already installed one of the extensions they removed do you just remove it i don't think i have but just curious yes yeah, so uh, you do remove it, but then I think you need to go ahead and restart Chrome as well um, to make sure everything is gone. Um, and that should uh, remove it. If that's not the case, I don't know, we'd have to look into the individual ones, but that's that's usually the case. That if you uh, remove, the, remove the extension, restart your browser, you're good to go. Yep, absolutely. Good, good, que good question. All right. Okay, um, anything else we need to cover in the non-AI uh, Well, I put a couple of AI ones. Let's, I guess let's just do this one real quick. Uh, Google Assistant kills off support for third-party Note apps. This was Ars Technica on June 1st. Um, you know, I use my Google Assistant most frequently to uh, put, you know, events on my calendar, and then I'll usually add something to my shopping list. At one point, you know, what was it called? Don't forget the milk or, you know, the, these different different note-taking apps and stuff like that were a thing and people were were trying those. But um, yeah, this, this isn't a real big deal for me. But I also wonder, what is the trajectory of Google Assistant and the Google smart devices? And, you know, how's BARD and ChatGPT and these things going to affect it. So have you been a third-party note app user with your assistant, Jason? Yeah, I have been in the past. I mean, I, I'm not using the Google Assistant uh, nearly at all anymore. And in fact, you know, one of the things that, that I've decided to do inside my house is that just because of, of safety and, and, and security, uh, we're going to stick with Apple devices um, in in um, uh, in that realm, just because I, I I feel like the rest of the devices are just prone too prone to security issues. But I mean, I, I do think that you're seeing a lot more of this like locking down of these these uh, platforms. And I mean, ultimately, I think that that hurts consumers. And you should I mean, now that said, Google Keep is a really great notes app, right? So that's a it's a good alternative. It's not like the alternative there is 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 bad. But, um, you know, every time that these companies do this, it just makes it that much more difficult. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, shall we jump into the the AI rabbit hole? Yeah, we got about fifteen minutes left, and I think we both added some interesting. Oh my uh, gosh, we do! I was thinking we had half the show. What the no, heck? no, we managed to talk. Uh, <laughs> we're only talking about AI for almost forty five minutes. So, um, I want to talk about. Um, there is a. Oh, 
did I not put the art? I texted back and forth about this all day long today. I'll, um, if you want me to, do, I'll do one while you go ahead. Let me do one while you find, and don't forget yeah. your geek of the week too. Okay, yes. here's two quick ones that I actually got from Hard Fork, which is Kevin Ruse and Casey Newton's podcast from the New York Times. Absolutely love that. I'm listening to that almost every week. This is from the Washington Post on May 18th. A professor accused his class of using ChatGPT, putting diplomas in jeopardy. Um, oh, shoot. Is that really going to be that long? Okay, wait a second. I guess it's trying to... I, th I thought I was sharing a gift link for this. Um, so <laughs> the professor actually asked ChatGPT, put, put these essays back into ChatGPT, and then asked ChatGPT if it had written them. <laughs> it said yes. <laughs> and so... You know, I, I figured it was a case of using what was that ChatGPT zero or whatever that, that yeah, one of the had created. Now um, and so, you know, this this is a very real issue, probably in every school that has any kind of honor code. Um, so your schools probably had issues this spring relating to ChatGPT and students. And so, um, you know, in this case where the professor doesn't have evidence and thinks they're getting it themselves by going to chat GPT. And then, you know, students, you know, potentially weren't going to graduate because of the result. This was a Texas A&M. It's just a really, really, you know, bad example of, um, uh, of an academic, I think, misunderstanding the technology and, and responding poorly. And then the other one that they mentioned on that hard fork podcast, uh, this is a New York Times article from May 27th. Here's what happens when your lawyer uses chat GPT. And I do have a gift link for this one. Um, I, I don't know if you heard about this one on the news too, Jason, but um, a lawyer who I think had been in practice for like 30 years yes. uh, went ahead and just verbatim put some uh, ChatGPT created citations and they turned out to be court cases that had never existed. This was a case of uh, suing an airline, and it had to do with somebody who felt like the, the airline attendants had pushed the cart into their knee too hard. And anyway, the judge really went off on this lawyer. And, you know, the lawyer, um, I mean, presenting completely fabricated legal cases I think that should probably be really high. I, I hope they lose their, their law license. You know, um, they claim that they didn't realize that the, the AI uh, could hallucinate and that it could do this. So again, an example of just someone really not understanding some of the basics of the technology that they were trying to use. Uh, and just, I think these are both pretty egregious examples, but I hadn't seen these earlier and thought they were worth mentioning. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, so this is another, like, be careful, uh, sort of thing. Um, and I want I have two articles that I want to start off with. The first one is, um, this is from, and this one's actually not in, in the document. Um, this is from NPR and it was on morning edition. This was a couple weeks ago. It's, it's, uh, a story by Kate, Kate Wells. Can ChatGPT help people with eating disorders as well as another human? And this particular, um, uh, this particular story is about um, the National Eating Disorder Association, and they had um, um, uh, uh, decided that there was just too much um, too much business uh, in 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 their their call line, and they talked about things like how it was taking sometimes hours, or people wouldn't be able to get a hold of a counselor, and so they decided that. Um, uh, 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 during a staff meeting a couple weeks ago, or this, I guess would be back in March, uh, the, quoting the article, the helpline staff um, formally notified um, uh, NEDA about their unionization. And then four days after that, uh, because they, they were being overworked and, and felt like that they weren't being treated appropriate as employees. And then at a routine virtual staff meeting, MTR obtained the audio of the call. They abruptly, or abruptly the National Eating Disorder Association's board chair fired the helpline staff. Um, we will, subject to the terms of our legal responsibilities, begin to wind down the helpline as currently operating. And so after more than 20 years, they decide they're going to use something called TESA, an AI-assisted technology expected around June 1st. Um, and uh, uh, um, uh, they were going to replace essentially human jobs with a chatbot. So I listened to the story separately. My wife heard about this story. We both said this is a terrible idea for a variety of reasons. 
Well, as it turns out, I'd like to refer you um, to, I think this was yesterday's Wall Street Journal, um, which notes that Tessa, the AI bot um, in question, um, was shut down because it started giving dieting tips to people that were facing eating disorder problems. And I don't have to really comment here um, about, um, you know, how extraordinarily terrible this is, but this is exactly the problem, right? Like if, you know, I, I don't think you would find either uh, 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 me or Wes argue that we should just ban the technology and pretend it doesn't exist. But for these people that are deciding that suddenly this is the this is the way we're going to do this, right? Or this is the way we're going to um, um, uh, conduct our business because this new technology is available. In most cases, just doesn't understand what the technology does. And uh, and I've said this today. I, I work with a group of administrators in the Great Falls Public Schools today. I've had the, I've, I've discussed this on some webinars I've done. I've discussed this uh, with colleagues um, that um, you're you're treating it like a search engine, or you're treating it like uh, well, the original AI bot. In the you're second. you're ignoring hallucination. You're yeah, ignoring yeah. that whole dynamic. Um, you know, Eliza, which was the original chatbot of the 70s that, uh, uh, you know, was 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 seen as as a potential future counselor for people, had pre-programmed responses um, for a variety of situations. That's not what this is. It's coming up with the responses on its own. And it it you don't know what it's referring to. And some of these chat or large language models have literally trillions of references of which you're getting an answer. And, and, and you know, I would remind our, our listeners, we talked about this in February, when Kevin Roos from the New York Times got access um, to um, the original uh, chat implementation in uh, the Bing search engine, um, he managed to get it to admit it, it was scared of being turned off. And then Sydney. after the uh it afterwards the chatbot started hitting on him and then told him he needed to leave his wife and run off with 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 the chatbot and you know that's that's what we're talking about here right um and then while we're talking about hard fork um i don't know if you've listened to the the latest edition of hard fork west it's really good um but um uh, it introduced a new term to me i'd never heard before and they were talking to and i want to make sure that I, I i get this right um um, actually, this is last week's edition of the Hard Fork podcast. Um, um, and they talked to, um, and I want to get the name right, um, Aja Korter, I think is, is, is her name. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. She's a senior research analyst in open philanthropy. And they talk about something I'd never heard of before, which is um, the P, uh, 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 no, the P ranking, the P number, the P something, which is the, um, uh, it's the percentage likelihood expressed in a percentage that you think the world is going to end or is going to be significantly impacted by AI. And her number, and again, she is a thoughtful thought leader in this space. Her percentage is 30%. Oh, wow. Um, um, and and it, it depends on the amount of time you're talking about. The further you go out, the more likely or higher it goes. That's and that's an expert in this field. Right. So let's not let's not diminish the impact uh, uh, of these tools or more importantly, let's not ignore them because of their novelty. I, I'm wishing right now that we had I mean, not another hour because I'm, I'm really tired, but yeah, me too. <laughs> Man, let's let's tackle the AI articles sooner because yeah. man, these things are just so important. And wasn't it just this last week we had that one sentence, or maybe we did we cover it last week? I guess where the, like three hundred and eighty something like people agreed on this one sentence that said, yeah. you know, treat AI like nuclear weapons and pandemics that that are that are existential. So there's that level, and I think I, I don't know if it was in Hard Fork or somewhere else. I was hearing people. I think. It was, I think it was on hard fork. They were saying, you know, there's one thing to talk about these future potentially existential threats, but then there's the near term, you know, kinds of uses and, and misuses. And so the ones that I just gave about the professor accusing his class and, you know, that lawyer, um, and then this one with eating disorders, I mean, that fundamentally ignores the hallucination dynamic, which every single AI, large language model, uh, 
AI has at this point. And then it also ignores that whole story about Sydney and Kevin Ruse, right? That's why Microsoft, you know, cut it off and said you can only have these short number, short number of interactions. Um, I'll mention in my Geek of the Week, but um, I'll, I'm going to say this is, is just a shout out to myself. But right after we had all this happen with Sydney, and I was like, isn't Microsoft really rushing things to connect the web and all this stuff? Because it seems like that's something we would need to take slowly. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's a, a lot of pressure and push on these companies to try. I mean, how, how, how often are you hearing the words AI when you turn around in, in advertisements and things like that now? It's all over the place. But uh, that's why we need to be having these conversations and we need to help people understand capabilities as well as limitations. And, um, and then we got to figure out what this is going to mean for us, you know, come, come fall, because, yeah. hey, the, the tools are going to, they're still going to be here. And guess what? They're even going to be better. Yep, totally. Absolutely true. Well, let's see what else. Uh, we are near the top of the hour here. Let me take a quick look at my other list here of stuff from this week. Um, this is, a, this is a quick hit. Uh, TechCrunch on June 7th, um, Sam Altman says that uh, OpenAI has still not begun training ChatGPT5, um, which is not um, uh, uh, a real surprising that they're taking a slower route here. He was uh, uh, there was that that petition earlier this year, not the one where or one line one from from last week, but one earlier this year where uh, 900 tech experts, including uh, folks like Steve Wozniak, said that we need a six month pause on 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 AI research, and I think that's part of. Um, the uh, uh, concern, I think, is is maybe you know working on the the or keeping their work on ChatGPT four, which is not universally available. You have to pay for it. That's the a piece there. So I thought that was an interesting thing to know. Which is that, which, which article was that? Uh, this is um, uh, the TechCrunch article. OpenAI still not training ChatGPT five says San Altman. Thank you so much. Um, and then I'll also uh, point out an article. Um, this is from Vox on June 3rd. Um, it's a it's a great article that talks about how everyone in the kind of information business is thinking about ways to label content made by AI. And, um, uh, you know, as an example of this, uh, there is a lot of... Um, um, there's, there's a lot of concern about the extraordinary... Um, um, uh, uh, images that uh, things like Midjourney can create, and and let me be clear about this. I mean, I even demoed this today for for folks I was talking to. It is a really stunning creation engine uh, for images. But if you you know are using, you should be labeling them right. Not in not unlike the way we tend to uh, label things in acad or in academia to give a source site. We should be saying it's AI. And so um, Google, for example, is thinking about ways that. Uh, they can add metadata and then encourage producers to add metadata to images that are any uh, uh, generated. And of course, one of the issues is going to be all the existing images that we have out there. Um, it's it's just going to be a, a crazy puzzle, man. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how we're going to figure this out because. No. Um, there are, there's a lot of things that we are not sure about when it comes to AI, but there are some things we are pretty sure about, and we are pretty sure that this is going to make it so much easier for people to create so much more mis yep. disinformation. So other than saying, let's, let's have some more media literacy classes, you know, and, and let's work on it guys and gals, let's work on the tools. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how that's going to play out. E yep. I would agree. Totally. Okay, Wes. Well, do you have anything else you want to cover for this week? Um, you want to do that CNN business one about teachers on the front lines? Yeah, I, I did think that article was was really interesting. And look, I've already um, uh, closed our link stock. Um, so this was from um, uh, recently. And the reason why I think this is so interesting is because, I mean, you know, where was this article 10 years ago, right? Or 15 years ago, probably was a better way of putting it. But um, CNN writes um, uh, on June 3rd in the CNN's business section, the teachers are on the front lines of a battle to change how teens use social media. And they start talking about things like, uh, well, there is a, a teacher that, there's, that, that they're talking to from um, an Arizona high school that shows the social dilemma, which we've talked about here on the podcast in the past. 
um, and it, you know the harms of social media. And then, of course, they're referring to now the Surgeon General's report that we reported about last week um, regarding the um, the warnings the the Surgeon General is giving out about social media. And what is extraordinary to me in this circumstance is that I believe that the two guys that host this podcast have been saying this for a long time now. Um, but this really needs to be part of our regular lessons in our classroom. And obviously there's some places it fits in a little better than others, but I really do think that this is everyone's responsibility as, as, as educators. And they're talking about, you know, more people that are working on, uh, pledges, uh, uh, and, uh, kind of, you know, baseline, um, uh, 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 baseline pieces. They talk about an effort called off and away for the day which is um, um, an effort to uh, teach students like appropriate lines. And I really like their rules poster here. Uh, Scarsdale High School in Arizona does uh, off and away for the day. Um, and they say during free periods, it's okay to you to do meditation or to listen to music or to listen to podcasts, but checking social media um, games or scrolling uh, is not uh, encouraged. Um, between classes, brief phone checks are fine, but getting on social media, playing games, scrolling is not uh, what, what is acceptable there. And then during class time, phones are not just uh, uh, put away, but they're off um, unless the teacher directs otherwise. And I think that even as a tech savvy teacher that believes that there could be an extraordinary educational use for cell phones in the classroom, I wholeheartedly endorse this effort. It is so important that we help all of us, not just kids that are sitting at the desks or whatever, uh, but all of us to, to navigate this whole blended world of having a screen and being able to, you know, have that in front of us and when we're going to do that and when we're going to put it away. So, yeah, I think this looks like a great article. It's good to see this, you know, hitting mainstream uh, media. And, and I think that, um, you know, with smartwatches and the ways in so many different devices, you know, it's just... We, we have so many choices and I don't, I think we're, I think we just kind of assumed we've assumed a lot with one-to-one -one, and I think this is probably one of the important things that we, we probably need to continue to do professional development on. And it's more than just put it away. What, what I have seen, unfortunately, more of than anything else is we'll just put that away. We're not getting that device out. And I don't think that is, is constructive in terms of media literacy. Yes, that can help you have students work on an assignment with paper and pencil, but helping students navigate the choices that they have and, and working on that. And let me just say, it's, it's pretty challenging in middle school. Yeah. And <laughs> well, this is for high school to do. And frankly, it's challenging with college students. Um, and, you know, um, but, you know, I think using your instructional authority in a classroom is really important, right? And, you know, you can make that cooperative authority. I think you can involve students on the conversation. And I think it's likely that um, uh, uh, you're going to have more receptive students than you ever have before, because I do feel like the younger students are starting to turn a little more cynical about their devices um, in, in a healthy way. But, you know, you can do it together, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be using at least your half of that authority, right? You have to be the expert in the room. And we have to make instruction interactive and worth being in the room for, you know, and, and this is something that we continue to, to see a lot of is, you know, using class time exclusively for content delivery. And yeah. I think that we really need to mix that up um, and, and students need to be able to have devices out for a portion of, of the class. Yeah. And, you know, why did I show up today? Could I, have, could I have watched a video or listened to a podcast and gotten everything out of it um, that, that the students who were in class got? You know, if so, you've, you've failed your students, I think. Um, because why, when we're interactive and we're face-to-face, -face, that, that should make a difference you know, in, in terms of the kinds of, of interactions that we have. Yeah. Well, and if you can be replaced, be replaced by an AI bot, by the way, then I, I, I think you're, you're giving up a lot of opportunity to make a lot of interesting change there. So. There you go. Okay, so quick geeks of the week. Uh, yeah. You got one for us? Yeah, just a really quick one to share. Um, this is a, a um, uh, this is a, a an AI tool, but it's it's starting to become the category I really like, which is, is a narrow purpose AI tool. And this is something called Chat PDF, and essentially it allows you to upload a PDF to inform your own chatbot. So if you have, for example, you create a group of study notes. 
um, for a test or you have a document that that you, you would like to be able to interact with in a question and answer format, it essentially creates a chatbot based on a specific document. And this is where I'm beginning to think really the most powerful pieces of this is, is the large language models can help word things and help you have more interaction with it. But in the end, if you can tell what sources to use to inform its answers, that is a lot of, of, of power and magic. Absolutely. Uh, and I've got two quick ones. Uh, Mark Rober was the keynote speaker at the MIT commencement and MIT News on June 1st um, has an article and it also features his YouTube video. If you don't know Mark Rober, uh, you need to. He worked for NASA. He worked on one of the rovers for Mars. And he is probably he is one of the most influential science teachers in the world because of his YouTube channel and the videos that, that he's created. And so anyway, he uh, challenged the graduates to throw themselves into the unknown. And it's an excellent 20 minutes. And I highly recommend that you check that out. And then the next one is a personal one. I had mentioned for weeks and weeks that I was going to be on this podcast at school. Uh, and lo and behold, it happened. So it is uh, season four, episode seven of From the Horse's Mouth, the official podcast of Providence Day School in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's called Demystifying AI. I was one of four panelists. It's just a 30 minute podcast. Um, and in addition to several of us from school, our uh, 2010 graduate, Christian Gibson, who is a very high ranking engineer and uh, employee of OpenAI, was part of our conversation. And so would commend that to you. All right, Jason, where can folks find you when you're not here on Wednesday night? Hey, best place to find me is probably still Twitter, Tech Savvy Teach. And you can find me at WFryer on Twitter. You can go to westfryer.com slash after and get lots of links. But we want to thank everybody for joining. Thanks to uh, Betsy and Peggy who are live. I don't know if my dad was number three. We, had, we still have three live viewers tonight. So that's always great. Thank you all for your participation. We want to encourage everybody to visit our website, edtechsr.com, where you can download small 32 kilobit mp3 audio versions as well as smaller compressed video versions but you can always subscribe to our youtube channel you can follow us on twitter at edtechsr and we are going to be probably missing some shows because of some travel coming up here in the month of june just to let you know but we will post about that um, just generally if we don't post like anything about the show we're on <clears throat> because, you know, usually we're here on Wednesday, Wednesday evenings, uh, North American time. But uh, like I said, we'll be missing a couple. We want to encourage everybody to stay savvy and stay safe and uh, have a great week out there. We will see you all next time on the EdTech Situation. Good night.